See you tonight. We're going to uh, finish up the list of woes in Isaiah chapter uh, uh, chapter five tonight, and uh, the the rotten fruit. You remember that uh, Isaiah chapter five begins with a song of a vineyard. God had uh, uh, God, God uses the parable of the vineyard for Israel. God had called Israel to Himself. He'd redeemed her from their slavery, given them as law to teach them how to live as God's people, brought them to the promised land to, to grow and to, to be a nation of priests. And uh, uh, God did everything that was necessary for there to be good fruit. And yet there was wild grapes, bad fruit. And then the prophet goes through a list of things that, uh, um, that, um, the bad fruit produced by the nation that are resulting in the coming judgment that he will announce in the end of the chapter that we'll get to next week. And so uh, tonight the prophet pronounces woe on men who are not men and leaders who do not lead. And, uh, and so uh, that, that'll be our, our topic today, woe to, to, to men who are not men and leaders who do not lead, Isaiah 5, 22 and 23. But before we get to that, I know there are prayer needs, prayer concerns. Uh, continue to pray for Miss Sarah. Uh, all right, so Isaiah chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Um, the last of the woes that he pronounces. You know, he pronounced woe on those who were covetous and uh, who were, through dishonest means, adding to their own property, house to house and field to field and Woe to those who live the life of luxury and leisure, nothing meaningful to do, so they find bad things to do. And uh, um, woe to those who are uh, enslaved to their sin, enslaved to bondage, have lost the shame that should come with uh, sin and rebellion, with wickedness and, uh, uh, and evil. And woe to those who have turned God's moral standard upside down that call evil good and good evil and substitute darkness for light and bitter for sweet and then the prophet said woe to those who are wise in their own eyes prudent in their own sight unteachable think they have all the answers and then today we see the final of those woes two of them in our text but really parallel to each other Isaiah 5 22 woe to men mighty at drinking wine Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away justice from the righteous man. We said God had called his people, brought them to himself, established them in the land, given them his law, given them everything that they needed in order to be a nation of priests, a kingdom of priests, to show the world the goodness of God and the goodness of walking with him and walking in covenant relationship with him being the children of God, the nation of God, and God had done everything that was necessary, and he compared them to a vineyard. He'd done everything that was necessary for them to produce good fruit, but when he came and looked for good fruit, he only found bad, wild grapes, good for nothing. And, uh, and we see the Lord's description of that bad fruit and the reasons that judgment is going to fall upon the nation. All of these things in the nation are reasons that God is going to uh, uh, bring his wrath, his discipline, his judgment upon them. Uh, he, he outlines the sins of the nation. 
And tonight we see that he announces his judgment on the nation because the nation is filled with men who are not men and leaders who are not leading. And, uh, and so uh, I think the first thing that we will we'll do is we'll talk a little bit about biblical manhood. What does it mean to be a man? What is masculinity? That is something that uh, uh, is, uh, is much debated today. You know, what, what, does it be, what does it mean to be a man? What, what is a godly man to be and to do? Um, and uh, I pulled out a, a book that, uh, from several years ago, uh, Biblical Manhood by, by Stuart Scott, and looked at uh, uh, his definition of a manhood. And so first question I would like for us to answer tonight is what is a man to be? What is a man? What is a godly man? What is the biblical concept of masculinity? And uh, the first thing that we have to say about a man is man is created in God's image. Uh, man finds his identity in the person of God. He is created in God's Im image. That means he is rational, able to think and process information and make decisions. He is uh, creative, able to work with his hands, work with creation, and, uh, uh, and, and provide for himself and his, his family, his wife, and he is relational. He is not committed to created to be alone he is created to live in relationship just as God lives in perfect relationship with God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit he created us in his own image and he created us to be relational to be social beings to live in community uh, the very first thing in all of creation that wasn't good it was not good for the man to be alone so he created a helper comparable to him compatible to him and so man is created in God's image Man is also created to be a worshiper. Uh, when we uh, look at Romans chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, Paul describes what man did not do. And when we see God's wrath being revealed against man for what he has not done, we see what man should do. Uh, in Romans chapter 20, verse, uh, uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, uh, uh, man did not see God's invisible attributes and was not moved to worship him and was not thankful and so if we take the opposite of that we were created to be able to see God's invisible qualities in what he has made uh, his his uh, invisible qualities and attributes his eternal power his divine nature and to glorify him and be thankful we were, we were created a religious being we were created to worship and to worship our creator we were created dependent, and we will worship. We will ascribe worth to, worship, worth to something. And in Romans 1, we see our error is we have chosen to worship the created thing instead of the creator, but we will worship something. We are created to be worshipers. Uh, and so uh, created in God's image and created to be a worshiper, and then uh, very soon after our creation, uh, Man fell into sin, and man has been a sinner by nature. Ever since the fall, man is a sinner by nature. And so man must know that, uh, that he is sinful. He falls short of God's standard. He inherits a moral nature, corrupt nature. He inherits the guilt of Adam, and he also inherits a morally corrupt nature from him. And so... Man must know that no matter what his heart may tell him, what his pride may tell him, what others may tell him, that he is sinful and that he 
can be wrong, and most of the time is wrong. And so uh, uh, that our hearts are wicked and deceitful, and uh, our hearts will lead us astray. And so there is a, a, a humility. We need to recognize our fallenness, our weakness, our dependence upon God, and our need for God's saving grace. And so man is needy. He is in need of God's saving grace. A manly man must recognize that he needs to be rescued from himself. He needs to be rescued from his sinfulness. He needs to be rescued from the evil one uh, that wants to seek and to kill and destroy. And he can only be rescued, saved by, by God himself, ultimately from God's wrath. So, so not only does he need to be rescued from himself and from a fallen world and from the evil one who wants to destroy him, he needs to be rescued from God who is righteous and just and must punish evil. And man must recognize his deserving of God's wrath. And he can only be saved from God's wrath as he bows his knee to Jesus Christ as the only Lord and Savior of his life. The prophet Micah says, what does the Lord require of you, O man? That you do righteousness, walk justly, and walk humbly with your God. We have to humble ourselves and recognize that we can be wrong. We often are wrong, and we need God's grace uh, that we receive through faith in Jesus Christ. So we are not self-sufficient. We need God. We need his forgiveness. We need Jesus. We need the cleansing that he provides. Uh, we need God for salvation, for strength, for guidance. But man must also recognize that he needs community. He needs other people, other humans in his life. Um, it's not good for man to be alone. He created a helper compatible with him, complementary to him. And he also created man to live in larger communities, uh, uh, community of faith, community of, uh, of other folks. As we see clearly in the New Testament with all of the one another commands, we are to live in relationship with one another. We are to live in community. Um, and so man is not self-sufficient. And something else that we have to say today is that man was created different from women. <laughs> Men and women, both created in the image of God, Genesis 1:27, but man and woman were created different. They were created to be different, they were created to function different, and they were created to have different roles. The man and the woman are not interchangeable parts. They were created complementary to each other, different. Uh, both men and women are created in the image of God, both are be treated with, with equal appreciation and dignity as image bearers, and yet there are significant differences. And the differences that God created us with relate to different functions, different roles. There's a different bone structure, different muscle tone, different our skin is different, our sexual organs and functions, our blood flow, our bodily fluids, our hormones, our chromosomal cells, cell structure, our cognitive function, uh, our outlook, the way we relate to other people, the relate to creation, all of those things are different. And they are different by design. And they are different because those differences equip us to our complementary functions. Man and woman are created distinctly different beings. 
not interchangeable parts, and you cannot change your gender by changing your outward appearance. We are different. And so man was created to be different from the woman. Woman created to be different from the man. And the differences with which God created man and woman equip the man and woman uniquely for the different roles that he has assigned to them. And so man's being equips him to do certain things. So man was created in God's image. He was uh, uh, created to worship. He fell into sin uh, and uh, needs repentance and faith and salvation. And he was created to be dependent upon God and to live in community. He needed complementary helper and he needs other people in his life. And so uh, that's what man must be. And so we biblically, what must a man do? Number one, a man must lead. All men were created to be leaders. Um, God created man first and put him in the garden. And God delegated authority to man uh, to have dominion over creation, to tend the garden and to keep it. Even though God would have done a much better job of having dominion over creation and tending the garden, God created man and delegated that authority to him. He created the man to lead, to have dominion. Adam was to care for the garden. He was to oversee it. He was given dominion. He was given dominion over the garden. And he was given dominion over the animals. And when God placed Eve in the garden, he made it clear that she was to help Adam in the work that he was given to do. She was to assist. She was to be his helper. He could not do all the things that God had told him to do. Specifically, he could not be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth apart from the complimentary helper that God gave to him. And so God created Eve. She was to assist. She was to be his helper. God did not create Eve and put her in the garden and say, okay, Adam, you take this half, Eve, you take this half, and we'll see which one of you do better. <laughs> no, they were to be a team. They were to be complementary. And Adam was to lead. Eve was to help and follow. Also a New Testament concept. Husbands are called to lead, and wives are called to submit and respect the leadership of their husband. The role of leadership in church is given to men, elders, the role of pastor, limited to men and women are not to teach or have authority over men in the church as paul says in timothy so all men are to lead part of our nature part of our makeup part of our structure god has created us to lead now some are gifted uh, some have the spiritual gift of leadership and might lead in the church or lead in the community lead in the state the society but all men are called and created to lead, to humbly submit to God and lead with boldness and courage. And, and both that humility and boldness are essential. Humility without boldness results in weakness, and boldness without humility can result in abuse, oppression, can be destructive. And so that humility and boldness, humility and courage, need to go together. Walk humbly with God, love righteousness, do justice, 
That's what God requires of you, O man. Wisdom, initiative, decisiveness, humility, courage, personal involvement. All are things that, uh, that men need to develop in order to lead like Jesus. So a man is to lead. Number two, a man is to love. Husbands are commanded to love their wives. Husbands are commanded to love like Jesus who gave himself away, self-giving, self-sacrificing love, called to live with their lives with understanding as the weaker partner in Peter. Giving, gentleness, consideration, kindness, servanthood, self-sacrifice. The man is to lead, the man is to love. Number three, the man must protect. Adam was to keep the garden. And that word keep in Genesis, Genesis 2 means to defend, to protect. He's to, he's to, to keep, to, to set a wall of the garden and to protect what God had created. And, uh, and when Adam sinned, we fell into uh, sin and misery and we can't provide protection from every consequence of sin and evil in the world, but men are called to be protectors. In the Old Testament, men made up the army to protect the women, the children, the cities. In the New Testament, the men are called to protect the faith and act like men and be courageous and fight the good fight. Men are to be protectors. Courage, boldness, strength, both physical, spiritual, and watchfulness. Man is to be a protector. Number four, a man must provide. Men should seek to meet the true needs of those who are entrusted to their leadership. Not only was Adam to keep the garden, but what else was he to do to it? Tend it. And so he was to provide. He was to work with creation. Keep it safe and to tend it to bring forth that which was needed. Diligence, personal involvement, servanthood, called to do all he could to get and to keep uh, a good job, which will uh, allow him to care well for those that he has been called to love and lead and protect, the man must provide. So a man must humbly walk with God, lead, love, protect, and provide, and that leads to the requirement of self-control. Humility and self-control control his passions, control his own desires, his own sinful nature, so that he might lead like Jesus, love like Jesus, protect like Jesus, and provide like Jesus. And, uh, uh, and, and, and when the Bible talks about self-control, it's, it's absolutely the opposite of what the world talks about when they talk about self-control. When the world talks about self-control, the world says, oh, reach down and within yourself and find the strength and perseverance and willpower to, to, to fight and to resist temptation. When the, when the Bible talks about self-control, the self is not what's doing the controlling. The self is what needs to be controlled. <laughs> and that control does not come from within you, your own strength, your own perseverance. But that control comes from the Holy Spirit. Self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So walk with the Spirit, walk in the Spirit and uh, and, and put to death 
your own desires, your selfish needs, your selfish fleshly passions. Put those things under the control of the Holy Spirit so that you can give yourself away, that you can sacrifice, and in humility you can love and lead and protect and provide those who've been trusted to your care. So that's, uh, that's what God requires of, of you, O oh man. And wh- what were the men of Judah doing? In verse 22. Yeah, were they exercising self-control? <laughs> were, they, were they leading and they're loving, you, you know? And, uh, and, and notice the irony of the prophet. Woe to men mighty and valiant. Now we would think of those words, we would think of those characteristics by themselves as being desirable of man. You know, a nation is dependent upon their mighty men for protection and provision. We want our men to be mighty. We want our men to be strong. We want our men to be valiant. We want them to be courageous and to be able to go and to, and to fight and to defend the city and defend the women and defend the children. We want them to be mighty and, and producing and working hard and making the nation prosperous. We want mighty and valiant men. That's what we just talked about. Men are to be are to be courageous and they are to be bold and they are to be aggressive. And we see the irony of the prophet. The city and the nation is dependent upon the valor and might of men. The men that make up the army, the men that lead, the men that provide, the men that protect. But instead of being mighty and providing what is needed, and instead of being valiant in protection, they are mighty at drinking wine and mixing intoxicating drink. And so you see the prophet's irony in using those words, mighty and valiant, and then putting them, they're mighty at their self-indulgence, their irresponsibility, instead of sacrificing their desires to serve and protect others, they are indulging their selfish desires and their flesh. Uh, Their purpose has to become drunk. And that's the word intoxicating drink. It just shows that that's, that's the purpose, that which makes drunk. And the Bible always speaks of drunkenness as being, being a sin. And so the purpose is to become drunk. Instead of practicing self-control, they're practicing self-indulgence. And later in his prophecy, Isaiah speaks of the effect of, of intoxicating drink on those who are supposed to lead. Flip over a few chapters to Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 1, the prophet says, Woe to the crown of pride to the drunkards of Ephraim. And then over in uh, verse 7, they have erred through wine, through intoxicating drink, or out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through intoxicating drink. They're swallowed up by wine. They are out of the way through intoxicating drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. For all tables are full of vomit and filth. No place is clean. And so uh, the Lord calls them the drunkards of Ephraim. And they, the, the intoxicating drink clouds their judgment. 
makes a, it clouds their vision, causes them to stumble and make the things unclean. The men are not being men. They are instead being drunkards. And then uh, uh, flip over to Proverbs, back uh, to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs has a good deal to say about strong drink. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 29. Proverbs 23, 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine, those who go in search of mixed wine, do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At last it bites like a serpent, stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or like one who lies at the top of the mast saying, they have struck me, but it, I was not hurt. They beaten me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? And so there the, the writer of Proverbs describes uh, with vivid detail uh, drunkardness. The writer of Proverbs also says that wine is a 22-1. Anybody know? Wine is a mocker. Yeah, a mocker. What's a mocker? Makes fun. Yeah, it makes fun. He scoffs. So a mocker is one who ridicules. And in Proverbs, one who ridicules the thing of God. You see a scoffer, a mocker uh, throughout. And, and he uses, uh, he personifies wine, a, a mocker. One who makes fun of God's law and makes fun of those and scoffs at those who try to live by God's law. And so excessive wine, intoxicating drink, are enemies of wisdom, lead many astray. Leads them to mock the self-controlled and righteous life. And drunkenness is always spoken of as sin in the Bible. Uh, drinking too much wine and intoxicating drink can negatively affect one's thinking and behavior and can lead to more sinful behavior. And in this verse, the verse that we're considering, uh, Isaiah 5.22 and 23, uh, you kind of see this wine as leading to dereliction of duty. The men aren't being men. Those, the leaders aren't leading. And as a result of the men failing to be men, the leaders failing to lead, the nation is going to go into exile. The, the, the nation is going to experience God's judgment that he describes in the, in the next verses. And so uh, the might, the strength, that might have brought prosperity and safety to the nation is focused on drinking wine, the valor that might have uh, uh, been directed to battle, the protection of the country, uh, the country has been devoted to the mixing of intoxicating drink. The men were not heroes in administering justice and, and uh, uh, in defense of their country. They were heroes in drinking Wine, drinking others under the table was how they showed their supposed masculinity. Instead of protecting, providing, loving, and leading 
and humility and boldness. And so here the drink leads to dereliction of duty. Their dereliction of duty leads to the destruction of the nation, the destruction of the city. They were, their might, their valor was directed toward goodness but toward wickedness. And wine drinking took the time and energy that should have been spent in doing good, doing their duty, leading, protecting, providing, administering justice. And they were, the, as we saw in the other part of Isaiah, uh, they, they, they justify the wicked for a bribe and take away justice from the righteous man. Uh, the drunkenness has clouded their judgment. They are not self-controlled. They are not self-denying. They are not self-disciplined. They do whatever it takes to enrich themselves, even willing to pervert justice for a bribe, for reward. Dereliction of duty, disregard for the serious work of leading and administering justice. Israel is being judged because the men are not being men and the leaders are not leading. The judges are not administering justice. And as a result, the city will be destroyed. God will pour out his wrath. Woe. Woe to the mighty men at drinking wine. Woe to the men who are valiant for mixing intoxicating drink. We need men to be men. Israel needed men to be men. We need men to be men who will walk humbly before God, confessing and forsaking their sin, seeking strength and guidance from God, seeking self-control from the Holy Spirit, submitting to the Holy Spirit. We need men to walk humbly before their God, to do right, to administer justice. We need men who will exhibit self-control, uh, self-control, a fruit of the Holy Spirit. When we confess our sin, Confess that we cannot save ourselves when we put our trust in Jesus Christ alone, when we trust in his sinless life, his atoning death, his glorious resurrection. We trust in him to bring us to God. We've been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he produces his fruit, self-control, so that we can lead and love and protect and provide like Jesus. Judah, Jerusalem, Israel, going into exile, being driven from the land, experiencing God's wrath because the men weren't being men. The leaders weren't leading. The judges weren't administering justice. God has created us in his own image. He's created us to worship and real men Humbly, humble themselves before God, admitting their need for His grace, admitting their sinfulness, confessing, forsaking their sin, and trusting in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. And then in the power of the Holy Spirit, manly men, masculine men, godly men, boldly, valiantly, courageously, self-sacrificingly, Love like Jesus, lead like Jesus, 
protect like Jesus and provide like Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so a prophet announces God's judgment on a nation whose men weren't being men, whose leaders weren't leading, and whose judges weren't administering justice. Woe to the nation who lacks manly, godly men. Questions or comments about men being men? Leaders leading, leaders not leading, and uh, judges not judging. All right, let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word, and, and Lord, we come before your word confessing. So often we can be distracted from the things that we should be doing. Lord, we squander our time and our effort, our energy and meaningless pursuits, self-indulgence, self-absorption, seeking to serve ourselves instead of those that you've entrusted to our care. And Lord, we see the consequence not just for ourselves, but for those that you've called us to lead. So Lord, we pray that tonight we would be confronted with your truth and what your men should be and what your men should do. And Lord, we pray for a generation of men who would walk humbly with you, but be bold, courageous, valiant, and mighty in doing right, in doing good. Lord, help us not to believe the lies of our culture that masculinity is toxic, that masculinity is oppressive by its nature. Lord, help us not believe the lies of the culture, but to believe your word. And I believe that as our culture becomes increasingly hostile to you and your word and your bride, You need a generation of men who will be mighty in doing good and valiant in fighting the good fight. Loving like Jesus, leading like Jesus, protecting and providing. Lord, grant us a generation of men who will fight for the good. And Lord, we pray for our church and we thank you I thank you for each one for each man and I thank you for the perseverance and endurance over this decade that we have been community of grace and Lord that you grant us wisdom and help us lead lead into the future and lead in the good fight help our men to be men our leaders to lead and for us to do right and do justice and to walk humbly with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, thank you.